This week on Grip and Grin, surveillance of the forest has commenced here in Maine. The advantage of setting up game cameras is being able to lay eyes on possible targets. What should walk and what should not. Listen along as Facto reports white-tailed business and Andrew plunges further into his artistic fly time. Hello, you listeners, and welcome to another episode of Grip and Grin. As always, we're excited to join you today. A uh, little bit different topic, but uh, you know we got to gear up for it at some point. You know, one t- one time or another. But <laughs> I know you're like, man. I know. I am. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I really. I need to find the itch. You know. I told you last night I need to get my bow ready to go, and I called my uh, the guy that I bring my bow to down here in Mass, and left him a message. He didn't get back to me, so I'm like, he must be on vacation because I know I know he goes on vacation mid early August. So interesting. So last year was the same deal, but you know I'm hoping if I shoot my bow a little bit, I'll be uh, a little more apt to get into deer hunting, but. We're going to talk about it. We're going to really get into the nitty-gritty of the the preseason stuff. I know this is going to come out like closer to the opening of Expanded Archery in Maine, but for everyone else, you know, my season doesn't start for another 8 weeks, so yeah, that's what we were talking about last night is, you know, you're like, oh, I'm not really excited yet. And you were like, your season's going to start here in the next like you know, four weeks. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about it that way. And then I was like, you know, when's your season start? And it was almost the, to the date, uh, two months practically. Yep. Yep. So I'm, I'm still struggling to get, you know, fully invested. We talk about it. The more you talk about, the more I'm hoping, you know, it comes to play. But as of right now, I'm still thinking about fishing and we'll talk about that more later in the pod. But yes, we will. <laughs> but so since your season starts a lot earlier than mine, you've been uh, doing a lot of work to get ready for it. Yeah. So this like, oh, this past like six weeks that we weren't really getting together or doing anything. Uh, I've been hard at work, man. I've been uh, getting the game cameras out there. So I had a lot of work to do to get ready before the season even starts, you know, you and I are always adamant about the fact that if you need to make changes, do it early and do it fast. And on top of that, you know, on our last pod, make sure to check it out. We talked about going fishing in late July. It was a heat wave and all the work you did was in the heat wave. It wasn't just a nice, (sighs) cool summer day. It was peak dog days of summer when you were going out there and getting your shit ready to rock and roll. Horse flies were just, oh, they were so bad. Um, but to get to get ready, I mean, I have a list of stuff that I had to do. You know, I have a total of seven game cameras, but I was like, you know what? I'm only, I only put out five game cameras this year, only. Um, and it's and enough. you know you'll use another <laughs> one expanded. So, 
you know, you're you're not gonna just let them rot away. They're they're gonna go to use at some point. And mid season, you you might want to throw another camera out there on this new, quote unquote, new run that you see. But right. five camera is still a lot for one property, and for such a high concentrated area too. But it gives me a better reading on what's happening. You know, by now, you and I both know the patterns. I I pretty much got the patterns down, but. Uh, just for entertainment, I kind of like seeing what's out there um, and seeing what, what foot traffic's going on. But So I put the five game cameras out uh, one day, and on top of that, I had two tree stands that need to be relocated. And, yeah, so you were, uh, you were just saying that, you know, you're, to get your cameras out there for fun, but you had a lot of work to do on top of putting your game cameras out there, and you made a whole work day of it where you set up five cameras and i think you moved two tree stands right i believe so i was running out of time or i was just dude i was getting so exhausted and so dehydrated that um i took down uh, a ladder stand that i had um that was at alpha and i moved it to bravo and it was kind of a bitch i'm not gonna lie uh moving an entire ladder stand by yourself uh, thankfully, there's like little tote roads that I can use, but dude, setting that up solo, so sketchy, so sketchy. Balancing that thing on the tree, mm, and, mm-hmm. you know, I I did use uh, my JX3 uh, to attach myself to the tree so I wouldn't fall off, but yep. um, so I found usage for that. But um, yeah, that was kind of sketchy. Uh, cleared a couple trees, a uh, couple shooting lanes for that spot. And right now, it's set, it's done, and it's still July. Well, it was July then. So, you know, you've talked about last year, and if you listeners want to go back to last fall and listen to our deer hunting uh, topics, but Bravo originally was the claw, right? You oh, used my to use, gosh, You yes. used a JX3 in Bravo, and this tree that... Pretty much was three trees in one, but only halfway up. So you yep. had all this maneuvering to do. You hunted it last year into a rifle spot, a little more tucked back. But even when I was with you, there was no good spot, you know, to pick out and be like, oh, that's a tree that I can use. And you ended up finding like a pretty get- damn good tree for that area. And it's, it, it is a dynamite spot. Obviously, it's not like Delta and Delta High, but right, you know it. It ended up working well in your favor when you sent those videos out, and it, you were saying you were having trouble, you know, finding a little bit back cover, mm-hmm. and finding a good spot where you can hunt with your crossbow, um, and your new toy. But we'll get into that more later. But let's talk about that the stand location, how you were able to find a good tree with decent cover in that spot. Did you end up going with the same tree? Because I I haven't even been out there in six months. I did, which is go, crazy to think about. Yeah, the, it's kind of crazy to think about because did you act, did you end up sitting in that tree? Oh, no, you did. I did not. When I went, it was uh, Delta. I was in pretty in November. Yeah. Okay. So originally, the the tree was set up for you and your JX three, because um, I chose that tree last year, and uh, I sat in it a few times with the JX three. Good sit. You know, good tree. It's 
a little bit more open than what I would like. Um, but what's nice about it, it's got some beech nut around it. And as most of you know, beech nut, they kind of hang on to their leaves. Um, they don't really drop them right away. So that's kind of my cover at this point. Um, preferably, I like a hemlock, uh, a little bit thicker cover. Um, but, uh, you know, my backdrop is white pine with hemlock. And then around me is um, beech nut. So it's not... To me, it's not ideal, but at the same time, it works because I'm so far off of the run. So because I set back so far, and I say so far, it's what, 35 yards, yeah. if that? bow range. Bow yeah, range. it's still bow range. Um, but uh, I set far enough back where, okay, I'm not really going to disturb it. And my entry yep. point, and this is key, I found an entry point that does not cross over the main run. And that was essential. So I can get in there stealthily. Um, I have a run that goes to my my left and a run that goes straight out in front of me. And those are those are the runs I'm focusing on. So that's a nice little spot um, to kind of mix things up every once in a while. Throw yeah. them maybe a curveball. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. So we, we've always talked about the curveball. And, you know, you set your normal stand. You go there with the normal pattern, whatever. And once in a while you have to throw a curveball. But... We've been working on Echo for an extremely long time to be that actual curveball. You know, last year Delta High was kind of the curveball a little bit, you know. Yep. But you didn't have a true curveball. And we've been trying for two years, almost three years. You know, like three years ago we were dabbling in the idea of, you know, over the ridge, down to the gut. You know, that's that's a spot you can set up in a blue moon and it would be great and we were able to find a great run when we were squirrel hunting and you know i found a tree that i liked but (laughs) you went back went back out there and you were uh having second guesses on that tree i was adamant man uh yeah i was adamant about uh going with a, a different um a different tree and when i got out there i think this was the second day the second week or whatever, the second time I went out to set up stuff, um, I went out there knowing I was going to do a lot of limbing with um, with Echo. And I saw the tree that you chose. And I'm like, ah. I was like, nah, I'll go with this other tree. And I start, you know, cutting down some of the branches, some shooting lanes for myself. Um, we have a nice beech nut tree with an overhanging branch for a mock scrape that we're going to be setting up. Um and there's a little trickling brook that goes through, and then it just drops off into a thick, thick, nasty patch. And we actually found beds when we were squirrel hunting down uh, just past that tree, too. So yep, yep. it's definitely a—it's danger close. If it's turkey hunting, comparable to turkey hunting, as far as danger close, we're, like, right next to the beds if you, if you hunt there. And if you're thinking about it, you know, we have the ridge behind us. Mm. Delta points out to our right if you're sitting in the stand. And then originally, you know, Bravo's like to what? Your back left a little bit. And then Alpha was completely to your left. Yeah. Yeah. So So it's in this point where over the ridge, it goes into uh, more private property where you can't get into. And there's a lot of great sign. But setting up on that knoll it's almost when you're hunting you know i've talked about it you look for like soft edges so yeah 
if you're in Michigan, you're looking for like, oh, there's a cornfield coming into like a wood line with a ridge and a swamp. Like that's an easily identified point where deer are going to travel. But when you're hunting the Maine, for example, or New England as a whole, you have to look for these features that aren't quite, you know, noticeable on a topo map or on satellite imaging. You have to go out there and be like, oh, this like this ridge and how they're hugging this ridge from where they're bedding. Like it, it's a good spot. And we've been thinking about it for years, like I've said. And it's finally cool to think about that you finally have a spot that I'm very, very confident in where it's like a Bravo or it's like a Charlie that we don't really sit now. But right, like it's not just an alpha that says a tree stand out and like no man's land kind of deal. It's that you're you're hunting when you're seeing that spot. Yeah. And the tree that I, so I, I climbed that uh, tree that I had chosen after I cleared some shooting lanes and I, I get up in the tree. I probably get about 18 feet up. And I literally sat and I go, shit. I go, this it 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 just didn't feel right. I have no cover. Um, you know, I have distant cover. So I have like these little hemlocks that come up, and those are like they're giving me cover, but from a distance. And I'm like, this isn't gonna work. And literally I look over at the tree. I still remember this. I look over at the tree that you chose. I went, son of a bitch. I said he was right. That tree over there is just the one to use. And I remember when I found that tree, it was kind of like, oh, I'm looking. This is kind of a cool spot. I picked that tree. That tree's pretty good. <laughs> so, you know, thankfully, some of those shooting lanes that I created still worked with the tree that you chose. So that was nice. Had to do a little bit more cutting um, with a pole saw to get the higher up branches to make sure I have shooting lanes. And uh, so I climbed that tree that you chose because, once again, I'm like... you. The tip here is that you need to, even though you find a tree and you're like, man, that tree looks really good. I'll use that one during hunting season. You got to climb that tree. You have to climb that tree so you know the feel of the tree, the angle of the tree, um, you know, the the grip on the tree. Uh, is it a loud tree when you climb it? You know, every little piece, every little factor is going to play a role in that. So you got to climb every tree that you think is, you know, huntable. So and we've we've both been in situations where we've climbed the tree for the first time, and last year I think we talked about it on the pod expanded archery hunting in Maine. I climbed up a tree and it's halfway dead. Oh yeah, that's right. Had halfway bugs dead. coming out of it. So you always doesn't matter when it is. I I would even say if it's mid season, you find a new tree. I would climb it. Yeah, I would climb it. Know what it is, comfortable in it. It's the right tree because you don't want to get up there, middle of the dark climate, and be like, shit, this absolutely sucks. And you wasted a perfect <laughs> November morning on it. So I still remember when I got to the top, I sent you a, a video of the, the actual tree when I was in it. And I said, one thing that I'll note, and the wind picked up, and I was like swaying in the wind in this tree. I was like, the wind definitely has a role, plays a role with this tree for sure. Mm hmm. Um, well, you know, you set up these two spots and they're both much better than what you had last year. And it's cool because you've been hunting in the same property for so long and you almost have two new spots, but in the same spot yeah. per se. Yeah. So, well, let's get into the fact that you, you put your cameras out for fun, quote unquote, after doing all that work yep. and 
we got to see the 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 cream of the crop. Oh, man. So it's, so there's a little bit story. I'll, so this is my I'll dive right into it. My hit list this year, you know, I have several bucks that I that I'm kind of monitoring right now. But I, I'm just gonna give you guys my four that I'm like, mm, these are my like these are the boys. These are the ones I'm going after. If one of these four bucks at any point during the season steps out, they're gone. Like it's gonna happen. Um, so this first deer that uh, that came into view, too, when he came in, I was like, holy shit, massive eight pointer. He is an absolute tank. But after two weeks, um, well, after two camera pulls, I started to notice something. I'm like, wait a minute, like this deer has a on the deer's right ear has a massive notch out of his ear and i'm like i know i've seen that notch from somewhere and i remember i was texting you you're at work and i was texting you i'm like dude is this the same deer so hellboy last year had a big notch out of his ear but his rack was all messed up massive rack but all messed up excuse me and then this deer this year nice symmetrical rack and He's got a notch out of his ear. The depth of the notch is the same. The location of the notch is the same. I'm saying it's the same deer. There's no doubt. And it definitely is. I I mean, I looked at it too. And what's cool is last year, you know, if you go back and listen to the pods, once again, a little plug there, but we thought Hellboy was, you know, a goner in the season. And then we rediscovered him postseason. Yep. And now he's come back better than ever. So I, I was interested in that. I'm like, wait, he was atypical last year, you know, and then this year, typical. I'm like, wait, is that possible? So I did some research, and it is possible. While those deer are in velvet, if they bump their antlers uh, to what degree, they could have a messed up, you know, atypical rack that year. The following year, they could have a regular typical uh, antler uh, setup. So it's just weird, but early on, if they bump it earlier, meaning like right at the base of the antler, it can permanently damage their antler setup for the following, you know, coming seasons. Mm. Kind of interesting. So um, he's back. And we, <laughs> I remember I was talking to you about, I'm like, should I call him Hellboy still? Because he, he's not really Hellboy anymore. And so... We came up with the name Top Notch. I mean, he is just—he's the top, top of the uh, top of the crop this year. Yeah, so he's number one this year. Um, number two on the list is Drax. It's a—he was a late bloomer last year. He came in towards uh, rut, um, but he was pretty much a, a day night, like a day night. Jesus Christ, he was a, a night buck that just came in late at night. Um, he actually came in after I shot Bjorn. An hour after I shot Bjorn, he came in. Um, but it was like way, way past dark at that point. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. nice. He was a nice big eight pointer. So those are my two big boys. VP, uh, small basket rack, nice eight pointer though. Um, and you guys will probably see most of these pictures on Instagram. Um, oh, Jesus. And then, uh, <laughs> then I got the last one here, Brock. Uh, it looks like he's got like just. 
like stalks of broccoli on his head. Tall, immature, immature eight pointer. Um, but he's still got a nice rack on him. So, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. and it's cool to see that you know the game camera picks you got last year. The Bucks are coming back, yep. the same ones, and then you have a little bit of a new crop in there, recycling name VP from last year to a new VP. Yep. If you guys remember, we had a VP last year at your property, but yeah, we're gonna change, you know, the tone a little bit now. Where we're gonna talk about fishing again. We we gotta, we gotta give the all, mixed bag, man. Yeah, it it is a mixed bag, and I'm still not ready to concede to deer hunting yet i will give it a week and then i'll be trying to get into it but fucking a it's been tough so segment today i was even sending you a couple snaps of new flies i've been tying up so i've been getting into the saltwater realm as you guys know if you listen back to the other pod getting chasing some stripers uh on the cape and hopefully in maine this uh coming weekend but i've been tying up a lot of flies as always so you know tying saltwater flies is just it's a different game you know if you're going out chasing native brookies you're tying on a size 16 or a size 18 dry fly hook and you gotta be meticulous with all the wraps all the feathers everything you gotta be on top of your game and with saltwater flies it's just it's fun it's easy easier are you not more time consuming but easier are you not so much worried about like intricate like details with like salt water flies exactly because you know you're making a big sand deal you're making a big crab and those are the two big flies i've been making i've been making you know uh clouser minnows lefty deceivers and um a green crab a pot crab fly and it is completely different in terms of materials you're using. I have to buy, you know, completely different synthetic fibers, different feathers, different hooks, you know, hooks that are bigger than woolly buggers I tie. Size 12 woolies, size 12, 10 woolies. Like, these hooks <laughs> are so fat, they can barely fit in my vice. Jeez. So... You know, it is a completely different game when you're doing that, but when you're tying these flies, it it's so again, like tying a small dry fly takes a lot of time, but when you're tying a big crab per se, like I showed you today, maybe yeah. I'll post it on the Instagram if I get a good photo. You you're putting so many materials on the fly. It takes time, and you just need to accept the fact that it's going to take almost 20 minutes to tie a fly mm. but you're not losing these flies as much as you losing a size 18 atoms in the tree that you cut because <laughs> i'm fishing the surf <laughs> if i'm losing the fly if i'm losing on the sand we have other issues but <laughs> if i will be losing them on fish hopefully yeah so well the, it, the cool part just... was with that crab too you told me this tonight and i i thought it was the coolest freaking thing ever you uh, reached out to a, a fly company, and you're like, hey, you know, uh, it would be great if you could have a tutorial on how to make, uh, you know, a green crab fly. And literally the next day, they posted yeah. it. The next day he posted it, I literally messaged him, like, thank you so much. I'm going to make it, and I made it today. And it doesn't hurt to reach out to people. Like, if you want to reach out to us at gripandgrin at gmail.com, 
Or Instagram DM. Like great plug. I can walk you through <laughs> it. I can walk you through how to tie a fly. You know, if I know how to tie it. And I, I again, I've been tying flies for a year and a half now, and I've gotten a lot better. And that kind of transitions well into the next portion of this, where I've been making a lot more intricate dry flies for uh, freshwater brookie streams. And they work, streams. dude. They freaking work. They don't work, they so, slay. So I totally changed tones on the flies I use. I use a stimulator a lot. And for those of you who know, a stimulator is just an imitation of a bug. It's not, it's an attractor pattern. You're not trying to go for a green drake or a hex hatch or a trico hatch. Yep. It's just. It's a bug, and it floats well. But, you know, use deer hair. Use multiple colored hackles. Use different dubbing. Use all these different things. You have to have a certain hook to do it. You have to be able to cut the proportions right, which is very key when you're trying to tie more intricate flies, where you need to have everything that lines up perfectly. You can't have a tail that's too long or a wing that's too big or a dubbing color that doesn't really match the naturals per se but you know getting into these more technical dry flies i i started to look back at my fly box and be like well shit <laughs> the flies i've tied aren't even that great you know i i thought they were great in the winter but you know i had to go back retie up some uh parachute atoms retie some of my uh caddis flies and I ended up making a lot more technical flies to replace some of the flies I had where I made X caddis flies. I um, made a big transition to foam flies, which mm. is a whole different realm of fly tying, you know. Normally you have like dubbing, hackle, hair. But when you're tying with foam, it's a completely different ball game where, you know, you have to have the foam cut. You have to cut a foam from a sheet that fits right, and I would make terrestrial. So I made hoppers beetles ants and these flies came out i would say titty these are like Just later season absolutely. flies correct exactly so you know when you when you're in the summer you know you go out and the black flies are out, the mosquitoes are out you know the the mayflies are hatching you get a green drake hatch you get a hex hatch you get a trico hatch you get you know bl blue wing olives you get all the sorts of mayflies hatching but once july hits and we talked about in the last pod, no hatch, mm -hmm. no bugs, no black flies, no mosquitoes, nothing. So, you know, if you're fishing uh, uh, a freestone river and you're walking up to the riverbank, what do you see normally? If you're walking through knee-high grass, hoppers everywhere, yep. beetles on the leaves, ants on the shoreline. So those flies are what you're going to use for the later season all the way through. If you're in southern New England like I am, up middle, almost late September, because, you know, we get a heat wave in September there where these terrestrials will work for like a hopper dropper type pattern where you're throwing a big hopper with a, you know, a midge beneath it or a, a pertagon or some other nymph that you tied up in the winter. But... You know, like we said last pod, we're both ready to fish bigger water. Yeah. Bigger water means bigger, bigger flies. fish. <laughs> exactly. So 
that is kind of where we're looking. Hopefully on the next pod, we'll be able to get out, you know, late summer, early fall fishing for uh, some bigger fish on some bigger tailwaters. But that is pretty much... I have a question for you, though. All the fly fly tying I've been doing. Yeah, but, uh, as far as fly tying, how many... I'll say flies in general. How many flies can you tie just from memory right now? Different types of flies. Oof. Not looking at a, like a picture or like a video, just memory. I would say 50 probably God is a good... damn. <laughs> now, now, when you tie enough... They're all built the same. You build a thread base, you put on a certain material, you follow it up with dubbing, or you put on this wing, you put on this deer hair, you put on this bucktail. Yeah, they're all built it's the like same. It's like knots. So, like most knots are, the foundation of knots are like simple knots. Like a loop knot. Exactly. Or like, you know, just... So I know how to build 50 flies, but if I, wa- if I look, if I walk into L.L. Bean... I pick up a fly. I'm like, okay. It uses a ribbed belly with this type of dubbing, this type of, you know, turkey feather or goose biot. Like, I can look at a feather or a fly, I mean, and just, all right, I kind of know what to do. I, I know 50 at the top of my head, but the more you tie, the more you learn, once again, proportions, proportions, proportions it's all about getting the right tail length to the right wing height the materials are all the same at the end of the day you you work with yes i have a ton of materials but they're all just the same shit different color so it's like a musician that listens to a song and they're like okay that's how they play it but they put their own like rendition on it exactly and that's how you end up making your own fly like the allagash white or the uh the allagash law line of micro woolies i've decided to make and yep it it pays off you know at first there's an upfront cost to do all this stuff but once you get the materials and if you ever do want to get into it change subject a little bit Go on Facebook Marketplace and look for someone who is just selling this shit for 50 bucks, and you yep. get $200 of material. And I don't go out there and buy, like, a kit. The kits suck. The materials suck. You'll tie, like, you know, 10, 15 flies and be like, oh, I'm pretty good. And then you'll be like, this feather sucks, or this material doesn't last, or this material breaks. It's j- don't waste your money on one shitty materials and two the most important tool you could ever buy if you want to be a serious fly tire is a good pair of fly tying scissors and i say fly oh, tying scissors i thought you were going to say a vice uh, a vice <laughs> is important to a degree my flies is a 50 dollar vice that i hate but i can tie saltwater crabs to size 22 midges, right? I thought you got, so a, new, I thought you got a new vice. I did, and it's still a $50 vice, <laughs> and I still don't care for it. But if you're tying a size 22 atoms, and you want to clip that feather close, and you have a dull pair and a fat tip scissor, mm. you're going to make a shitty fly. I can promise you yep. that. 
buy good pair of scissors and buy good materials on eBay, Facebook Marketplace, uh, Craigslist. People are selling this shit because they don't know what to do with it and they never tie flies and they inherit it and go out there and that's where you got to look if you're going to tie some flies up. And that, that'll be my little extra tidbit that's off the agenda for fly tying because first-hand experience, if I were to tell anyone... And if you can't, if you can't go and find these materials at a local, you know, shop, or not shop, but a uh, sale, go to your local fly shop and spend the money to get decent materials to tie five flies. You can do that. You can probably tie 25 and you don't even know. And you're supporting your local business. Exactly. And once you buy that, buy that material and be like, where can I fish in? And I've talked about it multiple times. I went down to the Cape, went to a fly shop, bought a couple of flies, and I was like, where do I go? But now that I've been uh, saltwater fishing once, I want to tie up my own flies. So yep. buy the materials and don't skimp. So, nope. But we have a lot more in, what's, in the, uh, what's new in the bag. And you got... Talking about spending money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> two trips to Montana... <laughs> Maybe one of those with a guide oh. is as much as you spend. So we we alluded to uh, a a big purchase on the previous podcast uh, when we met up in Rangeley. I didn't even tell you knew of it, but you didn't actually knew I bought it yet. Um, so we met up in Rangeley. Um, just kind of was like, hey, um, guess what I bought? And uh, so I ended up buying something for this uh, whitetail season, completely out of the blue. I honestly, I think what triggered this is um, the fact that last year I tried hunting out of the JX3 with a rifle, and it was kind of, not claustrophobic, but it was definitely tight. It was hard to finagle a rifle uh, around the tree with a JX3. And so I was like, you know what? My goal for the next season, for this season, was to take down a deer with a handgun. And so I did a bunch of research on which handguns to go with, you know, looking at a 10 millimeter, a 44 mag. Um, there was also the uh, Smith & Wesson 460, I think it is. Uh, but I, after a bunch of research, I said, you know what? I ended up going with the Smith & Wesson 629 44 Magnum Performance Center Hunter. It's basically a dirty, hairy gun, but it's much sexier, I think, than a dirty, mm-hmm. hairy gun. Oh, it is a beast. Dude. It is. <laughs> we haven't named it yet, but it's almost like a tank. I mean, it is tank 2.0 pretty much at this it's point. It's essentially black, like a matte black and chrome uh, finish to it. Um, I ended up getting some ammo for it. Uh, the ammo... Excuse me. The ammo that I was going for, did a bunch of research on that too. Some people were using 200 grain. Uh, other people were using 240 grain. And so I ended up getting 240 grain. I think it was 240. It might be 225. No, it's definitely 240 um, ammo. So I actually haven't even shot it yet. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I got sighted in. It did came it it came with a red dot uh sight, but it's kind of clunky. And so Yeah, it it doesn't really aim well when you like 
quick draw it. You have to find the dot. Yeah. It's it's a cool red. Dot. Oh, it's gr- uh, don't it's get me green wrong. It'll be great on. Yeah. It'll be great on any other shotgun or other uh, firearm that you want to put it on. So you ended up switching red dots. Correct? I did. So that's why I ended up doing. It. I switched out tanks. Uh, my turkey gun, my turkey shotgun. I took the the red dot from that, and I put it on uh, my new Smith and Wesson, and I put the stock um, Smith and Wesson red dot on the actual turkey gun. It works. Um, so I did that, and the reasoning behind that was just to be more mobile uh, in that JX3. So, and the other thing that uh, that I have going for me is, what's my longest shot out there? <laughs> Maybe 45 Maybe. yards. And these, you know, these people online are shooting this gun and hitting, you know, easily uh, a softball-sized target 100 yards or like a basketball-sized target 100 yards. And that's just with iron sights. <clears throat> so, you know, that... I was like, you know what? Out of all the deer I've shot here in this area, I mean... My longest shot was 35 yards. Yep. Yep. Conservatively. Yep. The most of those deer I'm shooting are at 20 yards or, lo- or less. So. Oh, easily. It's like. Easily. I mean, you're we're talking about thick, old growth Maine woods pretty yeah. much. Like, you could have a deer on, one, on the other side of, like, this hemlock grove five yards from you and not even see it. It's that thick. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this is going to be revolutionary, I think, come this year. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm I'm a little nervous. Um, you know, not not as like, is it enough power? But like, I just don't know. The biggest thing that I that I heard people complain about was the blood trail. Usually, the blood trail is not not as uh, you know, not it's not like a, a an arrow where you have more surface area. So, I don't know, though. I'm going to try it out. I'm going to try it. See what happens. See, I if I were you, if I can kill a deer with a stick and a stone, <laughs> I think you can kill anything that walks through woods. I don't want to be too concerned about right? it. Right? Oh. So, in talking about the JX3, I also made another purchase. And this was more recent. I just got it actually today. And... You were the one that introduced me to the JX3. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, but, you know, similar to fly tying, you're always making small adjustments to make it your own. And the one thing I always uh, see other hunters using um, is the Wild Country Ropeman 1 Ascender. Essentially, it's a rock climbing piece of equipment that you put your rope or tether cord through, and it more or less replaces the Prusik knot. Uh, most people get sketched out when I tell them, yeah, I hang from a tree with just a piece of rope. They're like, what? How? I'm like, oh, it's a Prusik knot. And they're like, no, no, I wouldn't trust that. I'm like, you got to trust your equipment, man. What's funny is most of, the, most of the people that say that, they hunt from a tree stand, you know, you sit in it. Do they wear a harness? That's a, probably not. I, to be honest, guilty. You know, when I use my tree stands, I never used a harness. So you're talking about, okay, I'm up in a tree with a rope, but you're up in a tree just hoping that you don't slip right. on a cold November morning with ice. Right. Like, 
it's it's kind of ridiculous some people's thought process. So if you're out there, highly recommend the JX3. But you know, if you're if you're like me and you use that knot all the time, you wear that thing in and it's butter. Yeah. <laughs> but you, on the other hand, who don't who doesn't use it every single hunt, yours is much more of a bitch than Dude, mine. It was awful. Like that Prusik knot would become so tight, even on the linesman rope, the linesman rope just climbing up the tree, it would become so goddamn tight that I would have a bitch of a time, double hand, trying to loosen it up so then I could get back down the tree. So I was like, I'm done doing this. I'm done trying to, you know, loosen this knot. Now I even sent the video to you today. It's literally one hand with ease. It's not even like a struggle with one hand. It's just you pull the rope, it's tight, done. And it was funny because Streeter, yes, I mentioned it, name drop name, Streeter ended up buying a JX3 too. And when he was climbing out back here with his JX3 and trying it out, he got his linesman rope and he tried to loosen the Prusik knot. And I go, see, right there. That's why I bought this new piece of equipment. So I ended up buying two of them, one for my linesman rope and one for my tether cord. Uh, for when I sit down. And it's going to be a complete game changer in terms of if, you know, that knot isn't loose or broken in and you're t- going up a tree, you have extra movement, extra jerk in your uh, setup. You know, you can easily go up, set up, get the perfect uh, tension on your rope, and there is no funny business when you're trying to get up into a tree which is going to be great on top of the fact that you're going to be using your crossbow which is a game changer still and your new handgun well it's like as you know when you're when you finally sit down in that jx3 but the angle's just just not quite how you want it so you have to stand back up and kind of push that prusik knot you know up a little bit further it's just a pain now i can literally just like shift my weight up and just pull and I'm there like it's done yeah oh I just yep. I, I still have to get used to it I haven't tried it on a tree yet because the one that's on the tether cord dude <laughs> there's a lot of play there so if if you loosen it too much you're you're going for a ride like <laughs> I, I, I was like strapped in my basement tonight and I had the main beam going across my house and I was just dangling in my basement. I was like, I wonder if I just pull this and I just zzz, just right down to almost to the floor. I was like, whoa. I was like, yeah, that's way too much. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> that's funny. So that's too funny. It's just finesse. Another reason to climb the trees and before you get into exactly, the Exactly, dude. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be, I kept telling you today, game changer, game changer. I cannot friggin' wait to get up there and actually use it. Um, you know, it's more metal. I will admit that versus like the actual rope. Um, but, uh, it's just one of those things that you just gotta be aware of when you're climbing. Uh, but like we talked about the other night, if I'm climbing and then sitting, like, I'm not worried about the jingling of the metal because I'm already sitting, you know, it's done. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. and it's not really in your way. Yeah, you know, it's like it's above you or it's in front of you when you're climbing and you're not really having metal on metal contact possible. And they they do end up, uh, they make two uh, versions of it. The Ropeman 1 is the one you want. Um, The Ropeman 2 actually has like 
needle teeth. And you don't want that to dig into your rope because it will wear down your your uh, rope a lot more. So just be mindful of that. The Ropeman 1 Ascender is the way to go. Well, we were also talking about it today and a couple months ago where the state of Maine's kind of changed their uh, pace of play on the dough permits that they put out. And it's kind of weird to think about where I did not buy my main license dude, this I year, know. so I have no idea. I really thought of that this afternoon. Happened. I was like, dude, he has nothing to worry about. It's crazy. And luckily enough, I, I think I talked about it on the last pod, you know, I got my mass uh, dope permit, got that all squared away. Not a lot to think about, but you have plenty to think about now. Yeah, Maine, Maine's doing something different this year. So I know all you Mainers out there, if you're applying for the dope permit, hopefully you did. Um, so the window for uh, dough permits ended on August 1st. Um, if you missed that window, uh, you might have another opportunity here. So just listen up. Um, so the window for application ended August 1st. They're giving out 96,340 dough permits this year, okay, statewide. And obviously those vary from uh, district to district. Um, but if you did apply, you'll notice there were only two drop-down menus for districts that you could choose from. In years past, they give out the bonus tags. So you have like, dude, it was like five different districts to choose from. It was dumb. Um, but their reasoning behind that is in the past, when you have like those five or six districts to choose from, if somebody got their dough permit in like that sixth district that they're like, oh, I just, I'll throw it in this district and they get it they were finding that people weren't filling that tag because they weren't using it. Makes sense, you know? So um, mm -hmm. so that's mm -hmm. why they filed it down to just two because they want more people to utilize their, their dough permit, which was I thought was interesting. Um, the results are going to be published on September 1st. And here's the thing. Here's the kicker is that on September 1st, starting September 1st, um, you must claim or purchase your dough permit if you want it. And that has to be done by September 29th. So by September 29th, you have to buy your license for $12. There is a $2 fee. And so that your total comes to $14 for a dough permit. Now, some of you, dude, my uncles are even guilty of this. I'm not paying that $14, screw that, blah, blah, blah. They just want more money, blah, blah, blah. So I did some research. That $12 actually goes right back into um, deer management. It goes into a deer management fund, and um, those proceeds go into the fact that um, it goes into a management of deer wintering, wintering areas, and it's primarily done in the north. Okay. Now, most people might say, well, the North, that doesn't impact me. Screw that. What they're trying to do is, and this is my assumption, this is kind of like what I'm kind of foreseeing. In Southern Maine, there's a high concentration of deer. We all know that. Like, it's almost ridiculous at this point. There's a high concentration. They're giving out more doe permits in, these, in the Southern uh, districts or in these lower districts. In the northern parts, they're trying to make the habitat a little bit more um, easygoing for those deer in the wintertime so the population grows. I think the state's just trying to find a balance is what they're trying to do. 
And it makes sense. I mean, we talked about in the last pod where the state of Maine doesn't do anything about the native brook trout that they have. Yep. And here, I'll give them little props. I love the idea. absolutely love it. Being a mess, we have the exact sort of same. I don't know where they put the money towards. I could look it up probably, but I haven't. Um, where you apply, then you buy it, and then if there's a surplus, you can buy them. Right. So Maine's doing the same thing this year. Um, so if, uh, if you do claim or purchase your doe permit, the other cool part is you can shoot a buck and a doe this year. Yes, you heard me right. You're able to shoot two deer if you get your doe permit. Normally in the past, it's been, if you get your doe permit, it's just insurance to be like, oh, if it's brown, it's down. That's been like the saying in the state of Maine, uh, if you get your doe permit, but this year, um, you're able to shoot a buck and a doe um, if you have your, your doe permit, which is awesome. Uh, usually when you buy your hunting license, you get that buck tag anyways. But So you're able to take two deer. Very cool. I like that. Um, but then uh, if you do not claim your doe tag uh, by the 29th, it then goes into, like what Andrew said, a pool of permits that then you can, you're able to buy uh, come... I believe it's October 1st. Um, early October is all they say right now, but with the uh, archery season coming up. Um, so it goes into a pool, and you're able to purchase more permits. And I asked you I asked you and the question, not to cut you off, but I asked you the question of if you don't get cho- like if you don't get chosen in the lottery, are you still able to buy those permits come October 1st? So I don't know the legality of it. In Maine, I can't speak for it, but in Mass, same deal. I apply in what June, July. I got my results back. I paid my ten dollar fee for it, and then on September twenty sixth, twenty seventh, twenty eighth, different zones open up for first come, first serve. So, I can go in easily. Click, click, buy. Click, click, buy. And it doesn't matter that, oh, if they don't give me like a number to type in where I've applied for the lottery and I can buy a tag, you know, an excess doe tag. So I'd imagine it's the same deal, which is, in my opinion, a great idea because you don't want to give these doe permits out and be like, oh, we're giving out almost 100,000 doe permits. Right. But half the people that get them aren't even going to try to shoot a doe, and they probably won't go out more than two times, which is great if you go out two times, power to you. But for people that are more apt to go out and actually fill the tags, the people that buy extra tags are going to try to fill them. So I think it's a great idea if they're trying to do something like Mass and other states, even New York, for example, does a similar type concept, and... Maine's kind of catching on to the fact that the people that hunt should have more opportunity yeah. versus the people that casually so, do it. The one last tidbit here, and then I, I want to throw something at you. Uh, in the past, the state of Maine, if you get a doe permit, you're able to, there's a transfer window where you can transfer it over to, say, like your son or daughter or like your friend uh, before a certain date. You can no longer do that. You cannot, once you get a doe permit, you cannot transfer it back and forth between people. Um, so that is no longer in effect. Um, and I think it makes complete sense because, once again, 
people that transfer them. It's like, and I know it and you know it. There's people out there that are like, oh, I hunt a lot. I want to get more deer. I'll have my significant other, you know, husband or wife, apply for a doe permit legally and legally transfer Mm. it. And that gives them that extra tag. But now, you you wouldn't be able to almost double dip. Where you can get your lottery, get it, first come, first serve, get it, and then transfer a tag. That's almost like, again, double dipping with the buying the extra tag and then be able right. to transfer it. Which, again, I totally agree yep. with. I totally agree with it. If you're, if you're wanting to get another tag... You got to be proactive for it, which is again a greater way for one, the state of Maine to keep tabs on who wants the tags, and two, to give the tags to the people that right. want them. All right, so I'm gonna throw out. I'm just I'm throwing shit at the wall to see if it sticks, okay? Because I know you'll you'll come back at me here. My prediction is that more does will be shot this year than bucks. Uh, easily. I can easily see it. Because now people that want to shoot deer, like you and me, and uh, it's not even being guilty of it, but we're guilty of it. You know, we want to fill the freezer. So I I think Maine's deer population is going to be heavily more regulated, I guess. It's almost like stocked fish. I mean, think about it. during ruts During rut, you see a doe. What do you wait for? You let the doe pass and you let the buck come in because if you have one, if you have one tag, like last year, you get your doe tag and it's like, hey, you could shoot a buck or a doe, but you only get one deer. Most guys would be like, ah, or most hunters would be like, I'm going to wait for that, uh, that doe to pass so that buck comes right behind it. You know, I want to see, see if that buck comes in. So I think now, now that people can shoot two deer, a buck and a doe, if that doe comes in, they're going to be like, oh, there's my first one. Boom. Shoot that one. Spook off that buck. Maybe that buck just go, you know, goes around the perimeter. But I'm thinking, I'm thinking there's going to be a lot more does and bucks this year. I totally agree. It's not even out of the realm of the possibilities here. And once again... I'm all for it. I couldn't be more for it. It just makes sense. For people that want to hunt, you can get permits easier. And you get more permits. And you don't have to, if you're not an expanded archery hunter, you don't have to be like, oh, I only bow hunt so I can get another. Like, you are open to the fact you can just yeah. hunt, which is great. And I'm all very, for it. Like, like last year, for example, the amount of bonus tags they threw out to people was just... It was almost ridiculous. It was like, okay, I'm glad they like went back to the drawing board and were like, okay, let's. And I know most hunters are frustrated right now because it's like, you know, they've been changing so much. But I do think, I really do think that this isn't a step in the right direction. And it's more, like you said, closely regulated versus let's just throw out bonus tags. Let's just, let's just throw them out there and see if they're filled. Um, I think it's a little bit more proactive to do it this way, but that's just me. And it's almost, at, from my point of view, being an out-of-state hunter now, mm. you're just catching up to the drift of every other state. Yeah, and it's it, The state of Maine lags behind by five or ten years in pretty much everything. Uh, Hopefully they get the memo from what we said on the brook trout, but it looks like, you know, 
why not grow the deer population north? It makes sense. Yeah. There, you have a whole state that it is the same with brook trout. It's synonymous. You have to go to northern Maine to catch brook trout. You have to go to western Maine to catch brook trout. But if you want to go in southern Maine, uh, just kidding. You're going to go smallmouth bass fishing. And, dude, we always talk about that whenever we're fishing up north and we see a deer, we're like, Jesus Murphy, we're like, that deer is a rugged deer. Like, that deer has survived some some gnarly winters, you know? And that's the right. whole thing. The whole thing. The money's going into wintering areas for deer. Exactly. Where they actually herd up like a, a wild deer should. I mean, in Southern Maine, they herd up. But, I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, if, if they are listening but, to us, I'm going to throw another thing out there. Tagging stations, man. Online tagging. Why can't we move in the direction of that? I yeah. Again, it's another five years, ten years. So oh. Maine picks that up because in in mass, you know, turkey hunting, deer hunting, it's just on my phone. Boom, deer's down. Fill my tag. Like, Easy. I would rather have the ease and because, dude, the past like three years, trying to find a tagging station that's open. Like, because by the time you get the deer out of the woods, you're dragging it. And then, like, if you have work the next day, it's just an inconvenience. And those stores at Tag only get, like, what, $1 or $2 out of that $5 that you use to tag a deer? I mean, if yeah, you have a bunch of, like, hunters going into a store to tag a deer, and they might buy, like, a case of beer or something to celebrate. Like, but that's a gamble. I don't do that. I go and tag a deer, and then I'm out of there. Like, ah, oh, come on. Online tagging, like, it needs to happen. It's just, I don't know. It makes too much sense. I mean, being someone that works now, don't have a lot of time. If I had to tag a deer at a place, are you kidding me? That would be such a headache mm. on top of already the headache it is getting a deer. But I will so. say this, too, and I know I'm dragging this on, but I just have these, like, foreseeable, like, predicaments if people are able to take two deer right i can assure you that if you get your deer professionally butchered there's going to be a line at the door i think the 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 butchers this year are just going to be overwhelmed with the amount of volume of deer coming out of the woods um so just keep that in mind too as you start your season um, that uh, you might you might have to hang your deer for a few days before you bring it to the butcher. You might have to bag a couple, you know, buy a couple bags of ice to stuff it in the chest cavity and you know keep it cool for a few days before the butcher takes it. Just keep. Or it's going to be sitting in the butcher shop. Yep. That I mean, that's a total possibility. And I down here in Mass, I've been out of place. They have like a trailer. You know, it's cooled cooled it's not right. cold cooled threw it in there i mean it's just part of the game now and they're your cuts are going to be a little more sloppy down here they're a little more sloppy and it's not just the butcher i brought to multiple butchers down here it's just the volume they got to get the yeah. deer out they got to keep it cold they only have so much space so much time it's look into cutting up your own i know <laughs> like we talk about this every year and i just yeah for me, it's just, I like the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I like how I don't have to worry about disposing, like, the carcass. I like how, you know, the freezer, 
yeah, time and energy. I, just, I don't know. Because you can go out the next day, drop the deer off, go out. And I've always, I've told you this multiple times, once I have a place and I'm settled, I will cut up every deer because I like cutting up a deer. I've done it multiple times when I was younger. I know I've learned from the best from, you know, Uncle Scott and uh, my stepdad. They've really taught me how to do it, and it's rewarding and also saves you money. And on top of that, with hopefully, I mean, I don't know if it's a hopeful or not, more deer were taken this year, and the the traffic through the butchers is going to be higher you're in control if you do it yourself. And there's plenty of resources online. You can go on YouTube, look it up, you can buy a book, look it up. Like it's it isn't rocket science. You just need the time, place, equipment, and it's not too much equipment, you know, a knife, vacuum sealer, but again, there's ease with one end and then there's you you know everything that goes into it on the other end. So it it's a it's I might a even tell my butcher this year just to be like, you know, those big slabs of meat that he always slices to like three quarters of an inch. I might just say, just give me the whole slab and vacuum seal it for me. I'll cut it up myself as far as like, you know, how I want it. Or I might just slow cook the whole damn thing on the grill. You know? Yep. So I might, yep. I might do that this year just to save him a little bit of, little bit of extra time of slicing and dicing. But, um, yeah. So, but just an interesting, uh, 2022 season coming up. Very interesting, but, and on our next pod, we're going to talk about more of the 2022 deer season. At this point, I should have my cameras out, and I should be shooting my bow, getting excited a little <laughs> bit more than I am right now. But, but, you know damn well, I, I'm going fishing, and I don't know what for or where or for how long. Yeah, we, we talked about this. Uh, I think my strategy this year, uh, I'm going to be joining you a few times, I think. Um, it, hopefully, shut, hopefully. Shut the fuck up. I'm going to tell you, shut the fuck up right now. I'm joining you. It's going to happen, okay? <laughs> yeah, because it'll be October 4th, and you'll be Dude, hunting in when um, October, your spot, and I'll be on the river, and I'll be oh, having yeah. a great September, time. I'll go with you. Want. October, I'm sorry, but... All this hard work that I've put into it's I got a I got a commitment and I got a hot date so, but yeah and that's the thing because you know in September I'm gonna be all over hell like you always yeah. know I am and it's gonna be interesting. very interesting it's gonna be interesting but as always folks as we sign off get in the woods and get yes, on the I, water oh yeah oh yeah.